for another episode of our SDBC podcast. In this episode, Paul and I are joined by a very special guest, pastor of worship arts here at SDBC, Jason Oldham. Hey, y'all. It's good to be here. Well, it's great to have you. Uh, Today, we're just going to be having a conversation about worship and all that worship entails, all that it is, and what it means for us as Christians and followers of Jesus. Um, But I thought a fun thing that we could do to start us off is just talk about our personal worship leading experience, because actually all three of us either are or have been a worship leader Mm. of corporate uh, worship at some point or another. So, Paul, why don't you start us off and tell us a little bit about your experience with it? Sure. I I think a lot of people think... I I don't know if this is a compliment or not, but a lot of people think I'm much younger than I actually am. Um, So before I came to this church, I was engaged in leading worship at my previous church, um, both at the First Nations, which is a tiny little building and a Mm. tiny little ministry that was so fun and so awesome to be a part of. So I led worship there in a very unique setting where I have a guitar and I'm not a good guitarist. And I had Hoban, who was my pianist that I always played with. And um, he plays for us now. If you've been recently seeing this Korean man with like who's amazing on the piano. Mm-hmm. That's him. Um, he's absolutely skilled. So I had the privilege of leading worship with him. Uh, so it's just a two-person kind of a setup there. I did that for quite a long, uh, eight and a half years, I think. And then I also did um, worship leading at my previous church with more of a traditional kind of um, contemporary worship team. Did that for about ten years. And I served as a tech person here at South Delta. I think most people have forgotten that by now. Um, I used to do our services, but also oversee some of the tech team stuff and mix the house sound on Sundays. And then for rentals, we would do things like VSO and other concerts that I would mix sound for. So I have a huge passion for videography, technology, music, and all that stuff. And I just think it's fun. Mm Yeah. Yeah. Well, for me, uh, also people think I'm younger than I actually am, um, but I... Mary's 55, by the way. <laughs> no, not quite. Um, but I used to lead worship at our former church with my dad um, and kind of learned uh, what worship means from him and leading with him. And then I actually came on staff here at SDBC as the interim worship leader for... Um, I don't even remember how many years, two, probably something like that. And then I got to work with Gatlin. So for a number of years, I led worship here and still do. And um, it also entailed many different things like leading uh, worship and songs at kids camps. So being costumes and doing actions, all sort of stuff, very different than Sunday mornings. Um, But yeah, it has been amazing. And so I guess it would be like probably 10 years now of leading worship, which Mm -hmm. is crazy to think that it's that long. 10 years. You're a baby. Well, I'm only 25, so that's like half my life. <laughs> that's pretty cool. It, it, it's kind of a testimony of uh, how God can use people really young and old to be involved in this kind of ministry. So I think it's just a really wonderful thing that you have been serving, both of you, uh, in those capacities. I also think as a staff team, because we've had experience in these different areas, it really helps the collaboration side of things mm-hmm. creatively. That's just a little side note. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I know when I did the previous podcast about sort of introducing myself as a staff member on this team, I shared a little bit about my history, but, um, I picked up a guitar at Bible college in my first year. And, um, I don't know, something about coming from out East 
in what was back in the early 90s uh, a, quite a change from a fairly conservative kind of um, traditional mindset out east coming out west to Bible College where th- um, the music was a little different, the genre was a little different, the, you know, going to Bible College and learning about who God is, uh, everything started to open up in my perspective about uh, my faith, which is exactly what Bible College is for. You're learning about your faith in God. Um, but I, I, you know, as we were getting together in chapels and singing in various contexts, I'm, I, my, my world was turned upside down in this area. I, mm-hmm. I came to realize how small I was and how big God is and, uh, and just had this growing passion to grow as, um, yeah, as a worshiper first, uh, just grab a guitar and, and do something creative for, for God's glory. And so it just kind of kept going, um, you know, learned a few things and, and then was brought kind of under, uh, some mentorship of some pretty incredible, uh, worshipers and worship leaders. And then, um, had a chance to kind of actually lead in a fairly, um, uh, surprising and quick way at camp when, I had to kind of just jump in because there was nobody else and I had to kind of just jump in and God opened sort of my own perspective about how I could be used, not just the guy in the corner with the guitar, but suddenly a guy who, who, and I don't even think I have any sort of great professional, awesome, wow voice, just somebody who was willing to get up and, and um, point people to Jesus and, mm-hmm. and passionately, uh, with joy, encourage other people to come before the throne like I was before the throne. And so, um, so yeah, you talk about that was, I don't even, I don't even want to say how many years ago <laughs> it was in comparison to, to Mary here, but, uh, been doing this for many years in many different contexts, many different church type things or retreats or conferences or, you know, creation festival had some really neat opportunities to, to be up there, you know, leading worship with more people than uh, I even want to think about just because of what that, um, kind of would do, but just also knowing that the whole biggest thing about this whole thing is, is that it's us coming before God, giving God what he deserves. He's worthy of our, adoration and praise and worship. And so this is, I honestly, uh, you know, if I'll be doing this my whole life, whether it's in a formal church context or whether it's, uh, in my living room, Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll, I will be dedicating myself to, you know, to worshiping God in whatever, whether it's with an instrument or not, like that's kind of what we're going to get into in this podcast is that we need to kind of think outside the box here a little bit. So I think what's interesting for us, uh, the three of us and is that our families are also um, into worship, not just as, um, you know, um, serving as a worship team member, but like actually having to lead uh, churches in worship. Like mm-hmm. Mary, you talked about your dad. Mm-hmm. You and your brother-in-law, of course, um, is a worship pastor at a different church. Here. Yeah, and my grandma, like I, I don't, I come by it honestly. My grandma was was a worship leader. Uh, hmm. And I used to sit in, in her church as a kid while I was doodling because I needed something to do. And she was up there just leading hymns and playing the organ and playing the piano. And so I had it instilled in me at yeah. an early age for sure. Yeah, same with me. My dad was a small church planter at first when I was younger. So I grew up with his cassette tapes that he would record on a little guitar and a mic. And uh, he used to lead worship. My mom played piano for church, which is what you did at in those days. You played mm-hmm. the piano and you worshiped. And um, and then, of course, my brother-in-law also serves as a worship pastor as well. So 
It's interesting that we, this is kind of like our, we talk shop at our family dinners and we talk Definitely. worship all the time, yeah. not just here at work, but also in our families. So it's I always remember, on our mind. Um, well, I don't remember this, but my dad always liked to tell the story of how I kind of learned to walk on Sunday mornings as the worship team was practicing and unloading gear because I would go early with him um, as like a two-year-old and just Love it. Walk around the auditorium. Um, anyways, so this podcast is entitled Unrestricted and Undivided Worship. And Jason, I know that that was a very specific title you wanted and you're very passionate about those two words. So can we just maybe dig into why we chose this title? Yeah. Get your shovels out. Let's dig in. So these are these are a little bit catchphrasy words right now because that kind of... And I chose them intentionally because of that, right? So, you know, in in light of pandemic restrictions and in light of the fact that this pandemic is causing disunity and division in our society and in our churches, um, I, I really want... I want our church specifically, I want myself specifically to um, just know that there's a way through this um, in worship that will uniquely help us um, continue to be close and dear followers of Jesus uh, in light of all the stuff that's kind of coming at us with this. So so kind of I'll use those two words and maybe you'll just let me kind of elaborate on them right now. Um, the first one is unrestricted. And I don't mean to kind of go like, yes, you know, we've got these restrictions on us. We've got to wear masks while we sing. I don't, I'm not talking about those restrictions. I'm actually talking about the fact that that God um, wants us to realize how big and wonderful he is in an unrestricted, unbound way so that our worship reflects who he is. So our worship becomes unrestricted and unbound. And I think Jesus hints on this a little bit. Like we talk, I know this is a bit of a mantra for a lot of worship leaders and worshipers, uh, this particular passage, but Jesus has a conversation with a woman at a well in John chapter four. And uh, upon exposing uh, much of the woman's life and faults and things like that, the woman realizes that she's not just talking to somebody uh, normal. She's talking to somebody extraordinary. Um, and he indeed shares with her that he is the Messiah, but, but before he gets there, he kind of, she, she tries to change the subject from her sort of past, her dirty past, uh, to, Oh, you know, and she, and I'll actually read the passage here starts at verse 19 of chapter four. The woman said to Jesus, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Yes. Something special about you. Verse 20, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And then Jesus said to her woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem, will you worship the father? You will worship Sorry, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. Verse 23, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and in truth for the father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And then the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming who is called the Christ, when he comes, he will tell us all these things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. 
And so, uh, as you know, like you can't read a worship book, you can't go to a worship conference without hearing this passage. And there's good reason. I think Jesus is actually telling us the, the, in, in, in the revelation of God through Jesus, he's bringing in a new kingdom, a new way, a new covenant, a new understanding of what life with God could and should be like. And he's offering us that relationship with him. So, um, the key with the unrestricted side of it is this woman thinks that Mount Gerizim as a Samaritan, that was where their sort of, that was their special sacred place. And, and the Jews, of course, their special sacred place was J- Jerusalem. And so she's in this theological kind of contemplating question going, well, we think it's Mount Gerizim and the Jews think it's Jerusalem. And then Jesus is like, and this is what he says, it's neither you don't be bound by that. Don't, don't misunderstand who God is by the fact that you think your temple should be on this mountain and the Jews think it's on this mountain. There is truth here, but God requires worshipers who will worship him in spirit and truth. So suddenly Jesus like knocks down the walls, the traditional, whatever you want to call them walls to help people, specifically this woman, this Samaritan woman, this woman who was supposed to be hated by Jesus, there's a whole bunch in this passage that's fascinating, to show her that worship was more, that God was more and therefore worship was more. And so in order to foster, and which is, which is what I want to do with my own life and my family's life, and what I would love to do with our church life, is to foster this idea that worship has to be, has to be, has to be more than a few songs on a Sunday morning. And you've heard that being said so many times, but I, it has to be said because we keep coming back to it. We keep getting locked in. We keep restricting ourselves to this idea that that's the only way that God receives this glory and honor. But that's so not true. Like, like the, the, the glory that is due to God is so much bigger than a couple songs or, or an expression or a prayer or a message. The glory that's due to God is, is everything. Like, you know, there's even these contexts, like if you don't speak out, the rocks are going to cry out. The rocks, the trees, the creation around us is constantly, like constantly, every second of every day is crying out in glory and worship to their create to the creator. So once we wrap ourselves up with this idea that worship is unrestricted, I feel like that's going to really help us through something like a pandemic mm-hmm. where suddenly our traditional form of worship, which was three or four songs on a Sunday, where you really jump in, you sing it out, and God allows that incredible blessing to happen of just, you know, you're connecting with God, when all of that's kind of shut down or, or gone digital or whatever, then suddenly you're lost. Well, hopefully on, on a new perspective or a new understanding of this will help us realize that we can actually worship God. We can give glory to God in what we do every day, mm-hmm. in our breathing, in our understanding, in our perspective. And uh, Paul kind of... Um, I know it's not the same context at all, but Paul kind of goes there, the Apostle Paul. He echoes this idea in 1 Corinthians 10.31. He's talking about, uh, the context he's talking about is food. And, 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 and as you know, there was division in the New Testament church about customs and, you know, whether it was circumcision or whether it was eating food that was not kosher or, or whatever, that Paul kind of goes and says, well, the new covenant says that we are free. We have this freedom. Now within this freedom, 
not all is advisable because not all is wise. So you have to be sensitive to it. So in that context, Paul's trying to teach the church that you need to be wise, even though you're fully free. And these are good conversations that we need to have even now during all of this conversation. This is kind of the wisdom that we need to have in Jesus. But, but in regards to giving glory, he ends it in verse 31 says, whatever you do, whatever, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, and if I can paraphrase and add a few more things, whether you play sports, read whatever you do, hobby, that you could actually have that be an avenue of complete surrender and complete giving of glory to God. So that's kind of my idea of unrestricted. I don't know if you guys mm-hmm. have any comments. If you've, if you've found ways to foster this idea in your own lives and walk and journeys with God, like, I don't know, you guys can comment on that. Yeah, I mean, as you were talking, I'm reminded of even even this discussion in John chapter 4 with this woman asking this, I agree with you. It's maybe like she's been exposed of her sins and now she's going, by the way, let's change the subject a little bit. Hey, here's this controversial topic around uh, what the Jews and the Samaritans are going through. Where is the legitimate place for worship? And like you said, uh, Jesus kind of answers not here or there. He says, here's the legitimate. And I love how that whole section culminates in Jesus, right? Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he, meaning that I'm the Messiah, I'm the Christ. So it's like, it's actually not where, it's who and do you know this person? And do you know who I am? Do you know what I've come to do? It's his presence. It's not actually you figured out the best way to please God and worship. Actually, God has come to you and now your opportunity to worship is unlocked by him being present with you. Totally. Rather than you finding the secret place or secret instrument. Yeah. I love that uh, song that we often mm-hmm. sing in our culture. David played a secret chord. Man, <laughs> I really want to know what that secret chord yeah, was, yeah. right? Yeah. I'm sure it's not G major or anything like that. But um like it's not a, a a thing that we discover because we're so good at instrumentation or singing or or musical ability or even a, a place of worship. It's actually Jesus's presence come to us. Worship has indeed come to us. Our opportunity, like Moses in the burning bush, God came to Moses. He had a wonderful opportunity to worship him. Yeah, um, even the temple, when you think yeah. about it, God's by his grace gave his people a place the temple, the tabernacle, where he himself said he would reside and people could come to him. But he, even all the way along, he said, you, you, you can build this, but I am not bound by it. I am not bound by some sort of building made by human hands. Originally, he didn't even like it, right? When David said, hey, look at all this like great idea I have to build you a house. I have a house of cedar, man, God, you're telling Mm -hmm. me you don't have a house of cedar. Mm -hmm. And God's response is actually... I'm not bound by what are you talking about? Like this whole creation that you see and even beyond, even the things that you don't see is all mine. Right. And, and like you said, they all shout his glory, shout his praise all the time. The, and that's, I think, what's fascinating about our desire to confine God, uh, make idols that, that are visible and tangible, whether it's a statue, which is what a lot of people did in the past, but and some cultures still do. Um, but in our North American context, it might be something more tangible and visible that we can, and sadly, we can even argue about things like, okay, maybe it's not a location anymore. Because I don't think too many people argue, um, is it South Delta Baptist Church or is it another church in Vancouver? Right, right. But I do think a lot of people argue about, is it is it this style of music? Yep, forms or, or functions. that style of mu- music? Yep. Is it this style of liturgy? Or is it no liturgy? Like, is it this style of communion? Or is it that? And I think what happens is that's replaced our, the, the arguments that they had about is it this location versus that, we've sometimes re, re, re kind of 
reimagine those divisive mm-hmm. points yep. into new things? Is it clothing? Is it the time of day we meet in? And and I think that's the sad part. And I think Jesus would say the same thing to us, right? Yeah, and Jesus is not saying throw it all out. There, there, you know, the the order that is described in the Old Testament in regards to the building of the tabernacle is so precise, and God mm-hmm. is so careful about the details. And I think the details are really important. But I think what Jesus does when he says these things is allow the details to transform your heart Mm -hmm. so that you are focused. And I love how you put it, Paul. It's, it's, it has to be, it has to be about the God who has made it possible for Mm -hmm. us to approach him. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's about him. And in that kind of, kind of, as our, as our perspectives are changed, as our, as our worship becomes more and more unrestricted about kind of who God is. I think that transformation happens in the heart and we become less and less focused about our own needs, even though we will have those needs, we will have yeah. those. Um, Cause I do believe there's some beautiful connection about the way that God has made us and the experiences God had given us that we can actually turn and give those back to him. And so we will have opinions. We will have loves. We will love a certain kind of music. We will love a certain whatever. But in the end of the day is we won't fight for those for ourselves. We will actually be transformed Mm -hmm. by the very presence of God to give over those things for the better of the community, for for the making much of God, making much Mm -hmm. of his glory. So, yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned um, giving glory to God and worshiping in everything, not just music. But I want to go there. But before we go there, I want to ask you, just because I'm curious, um, do you guys ever like pull out a guitar or sit in front of a piano or even just acapella? Like like you said earlier, living room or with your family or by yourself or with your dog. Like, do you just (laughs) crack out in a song and just praise God? Do you ever do that? Like, I don't know if it's part of your Devo life or do you ever use music because you guys are clearly talented in music? Do you use it to worship personally when no one is listening and no one's being led by you in, in worship? Yeah, hundred percent. Never acapella. That's just that's just wrong. It's just uh, madness. Yeah, I, I I don't have a voice for that. Like, you know, props to Gatlin and people like that. He's just got such a buttery voice, and I'm sure that I mean I I love it, and and other people that can sing, I can sing, I can get by. But you got to you need to know that. Like, but where I where I will find myself doing this in a very. Uh, um, when nobody's around, kind of that personal aside. And there's a beautiful part of that, that commune, that uh, communal aspect that we have personally with God. And mm-hmm. and it, it's taught in scripture. It's not to leave the corporate side out because there is mm-hmm. definitely, um, God calls us to both, but one should, one should fuel the other and they should act together, not in separation. So yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, even this past week uh, was just, for a change sitting at a piano, which I can't really play, but I, I like to dabble in it. And I found myself, um, with the song Beast of My Soul, I found myself just working through just the parts of that and having just moments where I literally was becoming what the song was saying Mm -hmm. in light of everything, in light of the chaos of my family, in light of the chaos of culture, in light of the whatever that I was having wonderful moments aside from church, aside from my office, aside from my day job, just moments where I would, was playing this. And, you know, Julie would comment from the kitchen. She's like, that sounds really nice, dear. And, and I, and I would hear it, but I was like, no, I'm, I'm not out for that. I'm just actually playing this to God in that moment, which is kind of a real gracious, 
yeah. thing that he lets us do. Yeah. So yeah, I'll go last with this because my story kind of segues us into the sure. next section. But I wanted to know: Do you deal with Nathan? Uh, yeah, do with harmonize? Nathan. And, no, I don't. Uh, uh, it's hard to harmonize with Nathan. At this <laughs> with point. a viral? Did you yeah. say harmonize with Nathan? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, sabotage might be a better word for it. Uh, um, no, but we love music in our family. We have songs um, all the time in our family. It, music is just a huge part of how we were raised, Sarah and I, mm. and it's a big part of how we raise our kids and the kids love it dancing singing playing um i don't play instruments as well as you guys do but i use it to accompany my voice i agree acapella is weird especially if you're not in the shower singing by yourself it can be weird so what i do is i play the guitar even though i'm not great at it to accompany my singing actually and what i do is in a time where i'm like really stressed or in a time where i'm like just wanting to do some devos but maybe not just reading scripture what i would do is pull out the bible read some scripture and then I would express myself before God in honest, vulnerable moments of song. And I think this is why the psalmists, mostly David that we find, but also other psalmists in the Bible, they're so brilliant at this, right? This is why David wrote songs uh, in the Psalms that are more gen general, more generic, so that people can relate to it. He doesn't, sometimes he does, but a lot of times he doesn't say, remember God, when I was in this place and that, that situation, he actually kind of generalizes it so many people can relate to him and, and personalize the song. And I feel like I do that a lot. Like even simple songs, like one of the favorite ones when I used to lead worship was um, Lord, I Need You. And it's just crying mm -hmm. out to God, right? So in moments where I just like, I'm so desperate for Lord's presence to be near me, I would just literally cry out. And I've, I'll confess, I've had moments where I'm just playing my guitar in my little basement when Sarah's out at work and I'm just by myself, I'm just playing. And then I would like cry out into song and then literally be in tears and just like praying to God. Like, so if you actually had like a hidden camera, you'd think I'm like crazy. And I've had those moments they where I used David song. David was crazy too. Yeah, and I have <laughs> moments where I use song to just express myself before God and just to stand before him. So, so now, uh, and I know Mary's going to talk about, cause we talked about beforehand, but to kind of make a bit of a transition here, I had somebody come up to me years ago and this was like, um, my, my restricted view of worship was too small. This person came up to me and we got talking about it. He knew that I loved music and uh, you know, that when we had gone to various concerts and festivals together. It was always just a kind of a youth that I was kind of working with. And he, he told me one time, he's like, I don't get it. I'm like, what? I'm like, I don't get this. Like people just singing to God. <laughs> I'm like, really? You know, he's, he's a Christian guy. Like yeah. he's, he's, yeah. he's, he loves Jesus, whatever. He's like, I just don't get it. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, I, I don't like music. Hmm. I've never liked music. Yeah. And I'm like, you're joking. Like, are you human? Like, are you a, a robot? Like you're joking. And I, I couldn't, it really, it kind of shook me up a lot because I know there's people that, you know, didn't necessarily love music, but I didn't know there was people that like actually didn't like music. Like it, music did nothing for them. I don't personally get that because music is so like, you know what it does to, to the emotions, to the whole kind of you know, as a, as an avenue for worship, this person had no connection. So therefore mm -hmm. like 50% of church did not connect with him. Yeah. yeah. And so, so w what I had to kind of figure out what I, what I did with that. Like, what do you do with that? So this kind of adds to the need to make sure churches, myself as somebody who leads worship to make sure that I am sensitive to the fact that there are people that, that this isn't their jam. Yep. And that worship has to be more. So whether mm -hmm. it's incorporating non-musical, maybe more right brain, sometimes maybe more left brain, like depending mm -hmm. on, like it has to be a full, 
it has to be a, a little bit more of a fuller expression. Mm-hmm. So whether it's logic, whether it's even like mathematical to some degree, I think I think this is where, you know, you talk about kind of the whole spectrum of of understanding in church and people mm-hmm. that we can we can give people a a bigger idea of what worship is. Absolutely. Definitely. So so. Yeah, I'll no, send I'll it over to, to you because I think I think yeah. you can speak to that. But first, I'll answer Paul's uh, question. Uh, even though now you've both deemed it weird, I do sing acapella at home. <laughs> um, That's because you can't sing. <laughs> no, it's because no one's listening. Um, because I'm often alone. If I was working from home and Phil would be at work, I'd just sing. Uh, my dog doesn't howl or anything, so <laughs> it doesn't embarrass me. <laughs> um, but yeah, like Paul, I'll just sing my own personal processes or laments or anything like that. Um, yeah, but what I was going to say is I had my view and my theology and my um, thoughts on worship really shaken a few years ago when I went through a bit of a time of really contemplating what worship was because it was a time where I was studying music in school. I was leading worship here. I was teaching piano. I was teaching people how to play worship songs. Um, and it was every part of my life was music and it was worship. And I remember just thinking, you know, this feels different now. I still love it. I still take it very seriously. I'm still, you know, connecting with the Lord as I sing on Sunday mornings, but it just, it feels different and like I need more. And I remember praying through this and, um, cause at first I was like kind of mourning it. Like I must be doing something wrong. What is going on? Why doesn't this feel the same? Music is like my thing. Why is it not the thing that's making me, you know, be able to commune with the Lord how I used to. And I remember God really changing my thought process around this and making it less of a, you don't need to be so upset about this thing that's changed. What I'm showing you is how much else there is, how many mm-hmm. more things you can use to glorify me and to worship me and to connect with me and to dwell with me. Um, and so that's when I really began to worship the Lord and spend time with him in writing, like journaling, mm-hmm. in reading um, the word in a new way than before, because previously I spent a lot of the time reading the world word in order to influence like the songs that I was going to choose and everything, like everything was so music centric. And now I was doing it for different reasons. Mm. Um, and also seeing how, um, ministering to people and checking in with people and hearing people's stories and then what to do with that, how that can be a form of worship. Um, so yeah, my experience with worship has been very, I don't even know what you'd say holistic, I guess, because I've been able to, you know, worship with him in many different ways. And right now I'm in a different season of my life, even on top of that, um, going back to school and doing my master's um, and studying theology and all of these things and seeing how studying can be worship. Actually, one of my mentors kind of called me out on it because I was writing this reflection talking about how I need to be better at like reading my Bible for school and then also reading my Bible for my personal devotions and worship. And my mentor said to me, why can't they both be worship? Why can't you have times when you open it just to lament and to dwell and to be with the Lord? And then why can't you worship the Lord in your more intellectual exegesis and study of it? And I was like, you know, that's a great point. 
Um, so yeah, that's kind of where I'm at and what I've experienced. And I just share that because for any of our listeners that kind of feel like they're in a place of the worship that they've always connected with is different or it feels different or in their different stage of life or they have kids, so they're busier, that there are so many ways that we can worship God and he will show you those ways. Yeah. And going back to the unrestricted worship, right? I think sometimes we struggle because like Jason said earlier, there's going to be that person who doesn't like music or who doesn't resonate with our style of music that we particularly play at this time at our church on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. Um, and that's okay, right? You don't need to resonate with other people's way of expressing something mm-hmm. in order for you to be worshipful. And I think that's why it's it's interesting because God has created us uniquely in his image. We're all made in his image, and yet we're so unique. And the way that will resonate and express, for me, obviously, many people know that I'm a very literature type of a person. So poetic spoken word is even huge. Like mm-hmm. some people call that rap, I guess. And I used to love it, right? And I still somewhat do, but um, I don't get to express that as much nowadays. But um, it's it's different for all of us, whether it's uh, woodworking, whether it's gardening, whether it's um, cooking for some um delighting in god and i preached a sermon on this a few weeks ago where we find ways to delight in god we should be uh, uh, as uh, steve timmis and tim chester say in everyday church they say that we should be the best people at showing the world how to party how to delight in life how to delight in god's gifts to us and his grace we should be the most celebratory people in the world and somehow christians have sometimes been labeled as the killjoys of the world and i think that's personally i think that's sad because our worship should be our way of delighting in God, um, casting our worries onto Him, mm-hmm. uh, pressing into Him in moments of desperation and need and lament. And I think worship is a beautiful, op- it's us saying we're an open book to you because, well, you wrote this book and, and we are completely naked before you. We don't hide anything. We come to you with our shame, with our sorrow, with our joys, with our pride, with things that you need to fix in us. All of this we come before you. To me, that's standing before God. Again, Christ saying, I am he, I am the Messiah. And his presence entering into us, us um, willingly entering into and embracing his presence. To me, that's worship. So the I love the, the title you've chosen, Jace, the, the unrestricted and undivided. I think that's so key in understanding how to move forward together as a church when we don't all resonate with the same expression of worship. Yeah, and maybe that's a great transition here to that second word because, and, and it's probably a good kind of way to finish this podcast up, is like there is, there's bound to be um, differences of opinion in this. There's always been, what you know, was dubbed the worship wars of, you know, years gone by. And, and uh, you know, I think as a church, we need to move forward for the glory of God and we need to move forward in mission, right? You know, Paul finishes his conversation about doing all things for the glory of God. Well, he finishes it by saying, just as I try to please everyone and everything, not seeking my own advantage. So he's realizing the way to, to glorify God is does not seek our own advantage, but that of many, that many may be saved. So we have this mission as well uh, as a church, which worship does play a part in that. Like we want to reach the world. We want to reach the world with the gospel and we want to make it accessible to people. And so, you know, that, that is plays into a big part of how and why we do the things that we do within our church and without our church, outside of our church. So anyway, so coming to this second word of being undivided. So we need to seek uh, as, as a church to be more and more unified in Christ. Christ himself is the one person that can unify, unify us in spite of all that is trying to tear apart 
um, in, in our worlds. But in, in regards to specifically in worship, I want to turn it back to that personal kind of side of, of worship. Um, I'll get to the corporate because I, f- I believe the personal kind of your, your own pursuit and walk with Jesus, um, you know, though I don't believe in a solely individualistic Christianity, we have to be doing this as community, right? So hear me out on that. But, but we do, we are in relationship with Jesus, each one of us individually, we are doing things, disciplines, Mary talked about it, reading, praying, that all fuel our relationship with God. We are to remain in the vine and be doing all of these things. I believe like David hinted at this secret not a secret chord, but a secret, <laughs> secret idea of, of, um, how to best worship God, how to, how to have this closeness with God. And I want to give it to you. It's in Psalm 86, verse 11 and 12. I remember many years ago, uh, at Quanos, where I was a uh, worship leader and, and head counselor and a few other things over the years. And I remember grabbing my guitar one day and, and reading, having Psalm 86 before me and, and just singing these words and having a song kind of come out of it, but it's powerful. And I believe it's, I believe it's a secret, one of things that God teaches us on how to maintain this unified, um, undivided heart before God. He prays David in Psalm 86, 11 and 12, teach me your way, Lord. So there's the truth. Teach me the truth, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. And then he says, God, give me an undivided heart that I might fear your name. I will praise you, Lord, my God, with all of my heart. I will glorify your name forever. So if you just kind of step back and just get a picture of this, right? David's asking God to give him out of his spirit, which he's now has promised that he's given all of us through his spirit, these, these things to get to, for him to have a heart of oneness undivided. So if I can just kind of quickly give you what I think that idea is, is that there's so much in this world that comes at us, that's before us, that can take a piece of our heart, our adoration. Paul, you mentioned like idolatry in in, in its various forms, and we make up these things and they steal a little bit of our hearts, whatever it might be. You could, I'm sure our whole church could name those things that we struggle with. But what David is trying to say, God, God, please help me be singularly focused, help my heart to be so one purposed towards you that, that everything else kind of falls into place. Mm -hmm. Like I have this unified, this undivided heart. I'm not letting it go anywhere else other than you. And that's why Jesus gives us the greatest commandment to love God with all our heart, all our soul, all our strength. It is all consuming because yeah. that's the type of God that we worship. Yeah. He's all consuming. He should have everything. That's what mm-hmm. he deserves. That's yeah. why we can worship him. That's the heart of worship. But I love that. And I love it in light of the times that we're in, because I feel like if we are pursuing this undivided heart and asking God for it, and I might be too naive to think this, but if each one of us came to a Sunday with with this undivided heart that God has so graciously given to each one of us. Think of what that would do to our corporate body. Think yeah. of how it would transform the way we interact with one another, mm-hmm. how we would all be so excited to, to get people into that place where we are singularly focused on the worship of God and being completely undivided. And um, I think when we talk about this and you talk about the new covenant, you talk about, you know, in 
prophets like Joel, you know, pour out my spirit upon them. Um, Ezekiel eleven seventeen to 20 says, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I will gather you from the nations. So he's talking specifically about the Jews, but he's alluding to this new time, this new covenant, this new kingdom, which Jesus is going to bring, bring you back from the countries where you have been scattered, captivity, Babylonian captivity. And I will give you, um, give the land back to Israel. Um, they will return to it and sorry, and remove all its idolatry, remove the vile images, the detestable idols. I will give them an undivided heart mm-hmm. and put a new spirit in them. I will remove from their them their heart of stone and give them a, a heart of flesh. Like this mm-hmm. idea that, that what people have made um, faith in God look like over the years, this sort of mashup of like failure and follow and failure and follow follow. And I know there's definitely still that we're still a battle between flesh and spirit, but, but what Jesus is, I think bringing to us is this opportunity to have oneness with him and this, this new heart, this, not this heart of stone, but this heart of just like humility before God, where we can be one. I could just be ranting on it, but I just have mm-hmm. this picture of God's people having this undivided heart together and uh, I, I think that could really be um, what we should aspire to as a church. I don't Absolutely. know. What are your thoughts? Absolutely. And I think God, uh, in the Old Testament, we get this phrase a lot, right? God is a jealous God, um, meaning that he doesn't want to compete uh, for our hearts. Um, like you said, I like how you said it. Um, when we make God our singular focus, if we our purpose is found in him, if our foundation is laid upon Jesus, then Everything falls in its rightful place. Everything has its rightful place. Food, music, hobbies, work, family, people around us. They all have a rightful place as God's gift to us, tools that we use to glorify him, all of that stuff. And yet they fall into the rightful place when our hearts are undivided and committed and loyal and faithful to him. Then, and we sing these songs, right? I give you my all, Mm -hmm. like like you deserve it all. And, And when we do that properly, I think that means God doesn't want to compete with instrumentation whether it's a piano organ drum guitar doesn't matter what instrument god doesn't want to compete with anything even if it's the primary thing that you use to worship him he doesn't even want to compete with that god wants you and all of you and like it's like we keep coming back to jesus himself came he is the focal point of our worship he is what allows us to worship nothing else we can worship a cappella without instruments Uh, we can worship without singing We can worship in studying. We can worship in our work. We can worship in our family life. We can worship in everything simply because of him, right? Then if that's true, he doesn't want to compete with even the things that is used often as tools to worship. Mm -hmm. And even our church building, even the name South Delta Baptist Church, even our pastors, even our staff, even our elders, God doesn't want any of those to be competitive things. God wants all of these to be utilized and maximized and capitalized for them for the opportunity to worship and glorify him. So I think, again, to put it in its rightful place, right? Um, place us as your, your, your servants, your colleagues, your pastors, put, put us in the rightful place, right? Don't put us in a place that becomes more divisive because you've now are, are making us compete with God. And we don't want to do that, first of all. But God, God is a jealous God. He doesn't need that. He doesn't want that. He wants all of you. And he's given us your pastors, your staff, your instruments, your place of worship, this building and beyond online. God's given us online technology. He's given it all so that we may worship him. But the moment that we elevate these things, 
and, and we we let those things compete with God, I think that's where the, like you said, Jason, the divided worship, mm-hmm. and that's not what God is pleased with. And I think God wants unrestricted, undivided worship in the most uh, compelling sense that He wants all of us because He has given all of Him to us. And I think that's a it's a beautiful thing that He's asking us because He wants all of our lives to be touched by all of Him, and therefore He wants all of us to experience all of his greatness. And I think that totality um, is so beautiful to contemplate. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I agree. God wants and deserves our undivided hearts. Um, but something that strikes me when I think about this is just the fact that, you know, we still have our human nature and our sinfulness. And so this is going to take effort. Yeah. Um, and so I just think practically of it. And I recently actually. So it's funny that we're having this conversation now, but I've been talking to God about how do I even make the mundane things for your glory? Because A, I don't know if I know how and B, I'm just going to forget because they're the mundane things. So just practically for our listeners, um, maybe it's putting them in your calendars and actually setting reminders for yourself. For me, since I mentioned before relationships and praying for people and talking to people is a way in which that I see God's glory and, um, and worship him. So um, I make mental little mental connections all the time that will help me remember. For instance, uh, I pray for my husband and I talk to God about our relationship as I'm folding laundry because I'm only folding mine and his laundry. And I have this mental connection that <laughs> as I'm folding Phil's socks, I'm going to talk to the Lord about Phil and pray for Phil. Um, similarly, so you're a sock folder? Just the socks. Um, <laughs> similarly, when I ride the bus. Um looking at the people around the bus, praying for the people on the bus. So there's all of these little things that we can do, but they will take effort in order to get us to this place. Why are you laughing at me? (laughs) No, I just, I was like, I'm trying to see how detailed you get. Do you like fold his socks and say, Lord, direct Phil's no, steps. No, no, and no. And <laughs> you go like quite. very, okay, all right, all right. No, no, there's a, there's a few things uh, totally, Mary, like the, the, and I use this as a bit of a life mantra is this idea of taking every thought captive because you mm-hmm. have these components of your life. You have your thought life that obviously mm-hmm. in your mind is constantly working mm-hmm. through things. So if there's a way, a perspective, a thought perspective that you can kind of like take every thought captive for, you know, Christ and his glory, that, that right there, if you have that kind of as a sort of a, you're constantly fighting to have that be mm-hmm. your action, your mind action, then the activities that you do throughout the day, as you are thinking about them, there can be this literal, like, okay, uh, whatever situation, good, bad, uh, you're in line and you're frustrated, uh, cause you have to wait and it's, in, you know, you're impatient, but you're taking that thought captive and you're, and then you're for the glory of Christ saying, God, I need the gospel right now to bring me patience that I need to show this world around me that I can be different. I don't have to be the, the guy that's complaining because his, his precious time is being delayed. So there's that taking every thought captive, which is a, which is a, I think a really key thing that it's almost like a spiritual discipline that you apply Mm -hmm. regularly. Mm -hmm. Um, and the other, I'm probably going to lose it now. Um, yeah, it's gone. I had a really, really, it's, it'll come to me before this is over. I Don't worry. Well, I'm actually going to wrap up. So, it won't. <laughs> yeah, no. so no, but if you're listening, hopefully this has been um, inspiring and giving you something to think about, even in your own personal walk um, in how you approach worship in your life. And as you listen to this and as you go about your day, uh, rest of your day, I, I challenge you and encourage you to enter into worship, bathe in God's presence, stand before him in all of your vulnerability, utilize the gifts and talents and loves and desires that God's given you 
as tools to enter into worship for God. Uh, let your heart and passion be directed to him, like Jason said, unrestricted and undivided. He is worthy of it, and he, when we do that, we benefit from all of him. And I think that's the most beautiful part of this, that worship is a joy. It's not a task. It's not a duty per se. It is, I mean, it is a duty in the sense that we do owe it to him. But at the end of the day, it is our greatest privilege and joy and delight. This is what Jesus allowed. Remember when Jesus um, dies and, and on the cross, the resurrection, the, one, of the, one of the symbolic examples of what this has changed in this world is the tearing of the veil. And now we have free access to walk into his presence, bathe in it, and worship. That, to me, is a picture of worship. And I pray that you would enjoy worship today, this week. And forevermore, may God's presence always be with you. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. <music>